Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to the 400th episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. I am Michael McCall. I'm Steve Panter. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And yes, we've dusted Steve down. We've dug him out of the bunker. He's still guarding our toilet paper hordes. And... Hordes? Hordes, with a D. Is that as much as a drove? Close. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit like, you know when you, you heard those stories from the the Second World War where the Japanese people hadn't been told the war was over? We hadn't told Steve that we could actually get toilet paper again in Superstore, but he's been, he's been a trooper, he's been looking after it for us. People have wondered where you were, Steve, though, and a lot of people, well, one person suggested I had eaten you, which I was a little bit taken aback by, but proof, he is alive and well. Yes, uh, it's just there was no interest for me to do the show, honestly, because there was nothing really to talk about. Like, how much are you going to talk about people, what they're doing in quarantine and stuff like that? Like, it's boring for me. We've had three-hour shows. Yeah, I, I didn't. Sorry, I didn't listen to any of them. You listened to some of Michael's in-depth interviews, which are some of my favorite. But Steve, it's good to see that you are following along with the safety protocols and having yes. masks. Yes, uh, this is to promote people wearing masks in public. Um, obviously, I'm not covering the right parts uh, because then that would stop me from talking properly. Uh, but it's kind of a it's symbolic. I think it might just add, though, to the rumors that I have eaten you because half your face is missing and that's why you've got a mask. But Yes. I feel a little left out here because I'm the only one without headgear. Michael, yeah. you look like you have a gift from Don Garber. Yeah, I'm wearing my special Mickey Mouse hat that I got on a special day during the Disney Classic Tournament down in 2012 because it was a leap year, so they had their extra day at Disney where the park was open for 24 hours uh, because it was, yeah, February 29th. To do that every four years, the park's open for 24 hours. And you just happened to be there? Yeah. On the free day? Yep. (laughs) That was why I booked the whole trip. So this is the eight-year anniversary then of that, obviously, 2012, it happened. Oh, well, yeah. Wow, eight years since the Whitecaps won a major trophy. I don't count the Voyagers Cup. Hey, hey. (laughs) We'll disrespect the Voyagers and Cascadia Cups like that. Well, we are actually recording this via Zoom for this episode. It's going to be out in the normal podcast. We will probably put this up on YouTube. That's why I'm wearing my Mickey Mouse ears. I actually had this on during one of the conference calls, but I lost my bottle and took it off before we started recording. Anyway, let's get to the long and the short of it. 
It's been a busy week in Whitecaps land. This show, we were actually going to call it The Two Marks, because we had Mark DeSantos lined up to be on the show, and Whitecaps CEO Mark Paris. But the news came out, the shocking news actually, on Tuesday that Mark Panis was out as Whitecaps CEO after less than six months in the job, just over five months in fact since he was unveiled uh, in the second week of January. Now, I woke up on Tuesday morning and I had a, a text from Zach that said, Panis out? Question mark. I, I, I was really confused. I went into my email and I was like, oh, Jeff Marlott's doing a conference call at 10.30. That's weird. I wonder what that's about. And then I kept flicking down. I was like, what? I mean, where, where were you guys when you heard the news? This is like a JFK moment. More like a, more like a JFC moment, but anyway. I was working in my room because I'm working from home. So it's basically just popped on my phone. I was like, oh my God. Uh, luckily, I wasn't on a call at the time. I, I, I was taking calls, so... Uh, I wasn't on a call, so probably would have sworn in front of a customer. Yeah. So uh, yeah. because I was absolutely shocked that they did this. Like, I was thinking that there was something nefarious happened or something like that. Uh, and then when you like, you're going to talk about the whatever they talked about in that press conference. Uh, I find no reason for why this happened. Yeah. 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 We'll get to that in a sec. I mean, Zach, you obviously heard it before I did. Well, yeah. Just. Uh... I'm still in the the curve, some uh, a little curve of WhatsApp group with a few of the dudes and uh, a few of the people, and um, I think it was Will Silver had put it in in there, and I was just like, "What?" And then I don't know if I looked up the the, the email or the whatever before I messaged you, um, or I messaged you first and then looked up the email. But I was like, "This is this is weird." I think I can't remember what time it was. I I, th- I don't know if I'd been I'd slept in that day or whatever, but I remember kind of waking up to it. And being like, what's going? Like, what's going? On? I think it was really early in the morning because I have a Tuesday morning meeting, so it was it was before that. So, but yeah, it yeah. was it was it was shocking. Like, I mean, if you if you think about um, all that we've said in these last five, almost six months, like uh, I think the, the term that I've heard the most, and you, Michael, you you're one of the people who've used it well, is like Mark Panis was literally like a breath of fresh air to the Whitecaps organization, to their supporters, to the community, the football community in, in Vancouver and the lower mainland. And, and, and he just gave people so much hope that the organization could be run well, that they could interact with people in meaningful ways without just treating them like dollar signs. And it was, so it was absolutely shocking. It was essentially a crick in the crotch. That's what it was. Yeah, that was basically what it was, I think. I think that's a very fair description. That's what it felt like, Rad. That's yeah. essentially what it felt and, and just like that photo, it felt like Panis was probably just as, as much aware that it was coming as that guy. I'm pretty sure it came as big a surprise to him as it did to, to everyone else. Panis was a guy that... He, he, it was kind of a rarity for executives because he felt human. And I'm not trying to be funny when I say that, but a lot of executives we had them here like i mean I, I had chats with paul barber back in the day but you didn't really feel connected with him he was a little bit aloof and it felt like he felt he had to talk to the fans more than he actually wanted to now mark panis you always actually felt that he wanted to talk to the fans he enjoyed talking to the fans and he had a connection that i don't really i don't really have seen in other places because normally 
let's be honest, most folk, they don't give a shit about executives in football and sport and other things. And when they go, they might be like, what are you doing letting him go or whatever, but that's it. I've never seen like a mass outpouring of anger and just everyone pretty much on the same page about it as the Whitecaps fan base had about Paris. Because people were starting to feel good about the club again because he was actually making people feel like there's a hope. And then when you get the rug pulled out up from under you, kicking the crotch, um, you get the wind knocked out of you and you get knocked over. And that's essentially what happened. Like I, you know, you guys know me, I'm usually willing to give the club a benefit of the doubt and, 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 and try to see things from both sides. But this was, there was nothing I could, nothing I could say to defend the club. There's no reason that, no. that this happened. Even, even if it would be, you want to blame it on COVID or something like that, that's, it's still not a good enough reason. No, well, that, that's the thing though. If they'd come out and said it was because of COVID and it was because of financial, I think a lot of fans might have been like, eh, I think it's the wrong decision, but I totally understand that. They're losing a lot of money. They've, they, they stated in that horribly poor press conference several times this was not financial. But the thing is, is they made such poor decisions over the years that I think I, I can't remember, but in November, December, I mentioned that, or end of the year, I mentioned that they're going to have to lose money in order to bring this club back into shape. So they, they, they had to spend money. They had to, they had to expect to lose money or, and, and have no other reasons and, and, and just be on a steady ship. Don't go off the kilter on one thing or another. Sure, this players are going to do what players are going to do. They're going to mess up. But your front office should be so stable going forward for at least a year, a couple of years, whatever yeah. you want to do it. That was the only thing that was going to bring people confidence in, yeah. in this club. And they messed up. Stability, stability is what they needed. And more so than that, they needed new leadership. Like if you look at the last year or two and all the things they, they've gone through, uh, one of the things that those, those events – those circumstances showed is their glaring lack of quality leadership from the very top and into the executive and even, and even below that they are an organization that has very poor leadership. And this felt like, yeah, this, this brush of fresh air felt like there was some leadership that was both quality. And as Michael, as you said, was connecting well with, with the supporters. It was interesting. You mentioned Paul Barber, cause I agree with you. Paul Barber was very, very good for the white caps on the business and the financial side. Uh, I think my understanding is he's the one who got the the initial inaugural Bell uh, jersey deal done, which was like the best that in MLS or the best that any team had ever gotten in MLS. He was responsible for that. But I, I don't know if I'd use the term aloof, but I agree with you, Michael. He didn't. He was no fan of fans. So as much as he was good for the the, the club financially and maybe going forward in that, uh, had he stayed here. Uh, there would have been either he would have had to alter his his approach to to supporters and, and realize that he wasn't in England anymore and the supporters here are very different. Um, but yeah, so he was kind of different. But and maybe we'll get into this more later. I think the demise of Paul Barber and the demise of uh, Mark Panis at the Vancouver Whitecaps, I think, are for very very similar reasons. Similar, but I feel as well though that they are very different people and in that. Paul Barber, when he left, a lot of folk in the front office that we spoke to were like, I'm quite glad he's gone. I didn't really enjoy working there or the atmosphere that was around the, the office. People from the front office that I've spoken to and other folk I've spoken to this week, they're stunned, they're shocked, they're disappointed because they all seem to, to a person, 
like Mark Panis. And then you also have to factor in the, the horrible timing. We talked about optics, but the horrible timing of this optics-wise in that this just came a couple of weeks after Mark's father passed away in Boston. Now, to me, you could maybe wait a little bit if you're going to do this. At the same time, it does throw out the question of was there something in Mark Panis's contract where the Whitecaps had to to make a decision with him within six months? Maybe there was a six-month probationary period for both parties so that if either party decided it wasn't a good fit, they could walk away. We don't know that. It hasn't been discussed. I was going to ask that during the press conference on Tuesday. I was pretty sure I wouldn't get an answer because throughout that whole press conference, we didn't get many answers. It was an hour's press conference and it, all we heard was one vision, we heard one voice, we heard streamlining, we heard that it wasn't for financial reasons. That was it. We did not get clarification, really. I mean, I left that press conference and others that watched it and when I've spoken to them since, you came away from that no wiser as to why this had actually taken place than when you, you went into hearing it. Uh, I mean, the, pro- the the press conference was a, was a, like a colossal waste of time because essentially what happened was Mallet gave the exact same answer even though every single question was different. Yeah, and it was it was painful. It was it's a painful hour. I mean, if you haven't watched it, maybe you should watch it just so you can see how awful it was. But it it was it was really poor communication and really again to me another sign of very very poor leadership from the top. It was basically an epic fail. The press conference answered no, none of the questions that people wanted to ask. Uh, there were uh, Matt Pence. I don't, a lot of people might not be subscribed to Athletic, but uh, he had an article there where it was just said he didn't answer anything that people wanted to ask. He, there was no real answers uh, given in this press conference. And considering how big a position that Mark Panis was put in and how people uh, built him up, like the club themselves, when they hired him, they built him up to be – uh, you know, somebody that was going to be in the community, working with the business side, and then to let him go and say, oh, yeah, we just want a single voice. That makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. You can have a single voice. It's not like, uh, it's, it, like he, he, he wasn't even part of the whole uh, what was going on below or anything like that. Like, it's clear by them saying they want a single voice that possibly he didn't agree with what the organization wanted. Well, that, yeah, that was, they wanted very, to run it. that was the very last question I asked him, if you can read into that. And he was like, nope, there was no disagreements at all between the team, which then makes yeah. it Then why do you need baffling. a single voice? Where's the single yeah. voice needed then? Yeah. But I mean, you have, to, you have to look at this and read into this. I mean, like, if we go back to his introductory press conference, Jeff Marlett, singing his praises, said he was the missing piece. But it's, it's like, as I wrote in my article... If he was the missing piece, it turned out he was the missing piece for a puzzle and he didn't actually fit into the puzzle. And the White Cats front office is certainly a puzzle. And Mallet spoke so highly of him and what he could do and what he would achieve. And now he's going on about one voice and one vision. But if there's not a clash, then you must have already had that one voice and one vision. So if he's saying that that didn't exist, but we'll have that now, then he is saying that... Mark, at that introductory press conference, spoke about wanting the Whitecaps to be a global brand. He didn't say top 25 in the world, so at least there was that. But he did speak about being global, using the Pacific Rim, like being a big club on that Pacific Rim, targeting the Asian markets and trying to get stuff there. 
he had so much that he wanted to do with this club. And, I mean, he only scratched the surface of it. And I do feel that the Whitecaps have downplayed a little bit what he's done here. Because you had the the aquarium thing. The Mark said himself in the press conference from that, he was watching the news and how they were in trouble and he thought, hey, let's do something to do that. So that was his idea. Yes, other people then helped it to happen. It was his idea. The whole beer and the the print thing to, to raise markers for the essential workers and the food bank and stuff and that. Again, it would have been spearheaded by Mark. And yes, there's a team underneath him that makes it happen. That's how teams work. But at this press conference, Marlott was talking about, look, the team is still there that did all these good things. They're still there. It's just that one person has left. Quite an important person. I feel you're really downplaying the role that he had in getting all this to happen. Yeah, it was it, it was incredible how Mallet just again just reiterated his answer over and over again, and how he like you like yeah, it was it was so surprising that he felt like he needed to go out of his way to make their decision look good by downplaying Panis's role in what he did when it was so apparent to people that what he was doing was so different and so and so positive. Um, it was just it it just. Like they made like they made people mad in a, doing a thing that I agree they didn't if they really wanted to do they didn't have to make people mad they could have they could have handled this much differently that did it in a much better way even if they made a decision that we all would have thought was bad they could they I I, I couldn't believe listening to the, to to, to Mallet talk about this when he when he he just kept on contradicting himself yeah it's not it's not a financial thing but oh yeah. We are in a we are in a, a pandemic and things are tight and we're gonna lose all this money, like it was just it was so awkward the, the way he did. and then and then at the end there when you gave him a softball easy yep. question to go out on a home run yeah you that's, said that's I mean, why I did very, that it was very fair of you you set him up he could have smashed that out of the park hey Jeff you know what is the one voice what is the vision of the football club and the dude dropped it like a pop-up fly in the infield. Like, it was so bad. It well, was they passed so it on to Axel, and Axel's like, yeah. uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah we have uh, four pillars, I think, are holding this whole thing together and some duct tape. Like, like that, like, he couldn't, he couldn't communicate the vision of the thing that he owns. Like, it was, yeah. it, 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 it was unbelievable. Yeah. My concern is that the four pillars, uh, they, they think that Mark Pannis was an extra piece, like in, uh, when you put it together in Ikea furniture or something like that, he's an extra <laughs> piece. And we'll see if those four pillars stand up now at this point. I mean, that was the reason I asked him that question. I thought, right, he hasn't said what this is. Here's his chance to explain it. And I thought, I gave him a bit of a hard time in my first questions. Other folk had given him a hard time. Let's throw that out there. Let's see if we can leave with a bit of positivity because I knew exactly what it was going to be like. It was terrible. I came away from that press conference knowing more about what was going on in the baseball negotiations and what Dr. Bonnie Henry had been doing with the Whitecaps than anything to do with the the actual real reason behind the firing. We'll probably never know. I mean, I'm pretty sure once Mark Panis gets another job, he'll be able to to speak a bit about it but he doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would then do a hatchet job in the club. So we'll, we'll never really know the truth of this. Okay, you, you can say that and that's okay. But I, we, I think it's very clear that we do know. We, we do know that the Whitecaps go out of their way to say things or to highlight things that when they want people to think about them in a certain light, even though that might not be the reality. 
And the, the whole thing about, oh, no, no, we were unified, whatever. All you need to do is go and listen to what people have said that their, their tipic ticket reps in the front office told them that, hey, there was disagreements between panics yep. and other people in the front office. Yeah, I was sent some correspondence between people and their ticket reps. Exactly. And you just all you have to go back is look at what happens in the Whitecaps front office when there's a disagreement, be, uh, when you oppose certain people in that front office, you do not last long. And I won't go into all the details. I know we're going to do a shorter segment of, of this today. I won't go into all those details, but I really think we do need to in the future break down each of those things so people actually understand that this is not new. This is not a new thing. This is uh, just a, a continuation of who they are and how they operate. Well, let's and, do that with a live we, Zoom with questions one night. Yeah, we should. Because, um, I mean, even, even you look at people who are close to them and what they've said this week, Simon Fudge, Pete, Pete Shad have both come out and said, this is the only thing that makes sense, is that there, there, is, there was friction. There was something. He crossed the power players that you're not allowed to cross, either opposed them or recommended, hey, I think maybe they're redundant or they don't really belong here or something along those lines that got him pushed out like it has other people in the past. Right, here's a question for both of you, and I posed this in my article. If you're going to combine executive positions, it's very rare that football teams have one person to be the, the CEO and the sporting director. You've got two clubs in MLS that do it. Miami, they're brand new, they're still finding their feet. Columbus, and the person that they've got to be that is Tim Bedbath and Beyond, who has so much experience in MLS that he can probably do both those roles. But now we've got a man doing it that is brand new to MLS, brand new to North American soccer. If you were going to combine two positions, surely sporting director and VP of sport soccer operations could have been the position that you could have merged. And I'm not just saying that to have a, a, a go at Greg Anderson, because Jeff's so good at knowing what the ins and outs of the MLS rules are and, and various things like that, which Axel would maybe have struggled with. So you do maybe need that knowledge. But maybe after a year, if you want to merge positions, that would be the two positions to merge. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, and again, Steve, you're just on point with your background photos. Um, uh, I, I, like, I agree with you. Like, I mean, again, maybe this is a, a longer conversation for a different time where we share more details, but like, Greg Anderson's role uh, seems redundant in a number of ways. And it, 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 to everyone I've talked to, it seems like everyone fully understands why he's still there and why he will probably be there for a long time. But yeah, whether it's Jeff Anderson, Greg Anderson, that would have been more likely. Both those two would have been the two that that that, that should have um, that 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 should have gone. If you want to consolidate, you want to save money, you want to want to change things. And that's not even talking about his his foul ups over the year, you know, because we don't want to talk about Breck Shea again, right? No. Now, Mallet said it was not a popularity contest, which was one of the most amazing things to come out of the press conference. Football by its very nature, is a popularity contest because football clubs have to get fans through the door. To get fans to support you, to buy your products, to have bums and seats, you have to be a likeable club. You have to be popular to the masses. Football is about popularity. Was Mark Panis maybe too popular 
and they thought, well, you know what, this is going like the, the fans like this too much. He's too open. The day before the season started, he revealed the season ticket numbers, which then led to a big, what? There's only that amount of season tickets? And then they were scrambling to say, that's not quite what he meant. There was, this is new, this, and blah, blah, blah. He, he, he was too honest. He was too honest for them because what it did was it painted them and their work in a bad light. It showed, you know, this huge decrease from what it had been before and what it had been at its peak. And it made them look bad, which for them thinks, for them, it makes them think that, hey, we're going to lose money. This isn't good. Whenever our perception gets hurt, it's bad for our bottom line. And it shows that all they care about is the bottom line. That's it. Now, some people, when I think when it was announced, would maybe have thought, oh, I wonder if this is Axel Schuster trying to muscle in on the job. Let's set that straight. Axel Schuster and Mark Panis are very good friends. I think Mark said in his, his goodbye message that one of the the most pleasing aspects of this was he's had a very good friend in Axel Schuster. They'll continue to remain friends. Axel, during that press conference, looked a little bit kind of stunned and shell-shocked and almost embarrassed, I think. It kind of came across to have to talk about this and that he's now doing both the roles. So let's put that to bed. I wonder if Axel's wondering if he has like an out clause or anything like that, a six-month out clause I mean, at this point. He would not have seen this as as the best solution. No. The, the, the thing is, I, 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 want, I want to just go and pan this one more thing. Nobody was even looking at them hiring a CEO back like in yeah, that's December, true. before just November. It was Mark Weber who had pointed at uh, one point that they were looking at getting a CEO. Nobody else was even asking for it. Everybody was just saying, get us a technical director. Don't worry about, like, not nobody said don't worry about a CEO, but nobody was even looking for one. They're the, they're the ones that got, brought somebody in and now they're saying they, they shouldn't. See, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't. It shows that they're either they they they're incompetent or or they just don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. It's, it's baffling to me that you bring somebody in that nobody really even is asking for, and then you let them go after six months. Let's go back to Schuster though. But there's de- there's definitely incompetencies there. But the reason that I think Steve, or part of the reason they brought in a CEO, was because of how bad things have gone for them in that last year or so. And no longer, they, they got Bobby removed as the face. And they, yeah. I think, also felt like Rachel Lewis can no longer be the face after. Like, people, definitely the public, I would say, uh, or the vocal public, for sure, have, have said that they no longer recognize her as being uh, a good leader or a good face or a good voice for the ownership uh, or the executive of the club. So I think they saw that and they had to do, they had to do something else. Uh, and so I think that's yeah. why it led to the whole CEO thing. I mean, that's a good point that, that Steve's raised. And I mean, I have had a couple of people and I've read a couple of things, Southside Forum and a few things on Twitter saying, why is everyone getting so upset? This is just a, a business person leaving. Who cares? I just want a team on the pitch that can that can actually win games. And yeah, that's fair enough because we didn't know this appointment was coming. And are we any worse off in terms of where we were in December? Probably not because we do have someone doing it, which is the other thing. Mark said in his statement that his position had been eliminated. And then I had asked Jeff Mallett, oh, you seem to have trouble keeping CEOs. And he said, no, we have a CEO. It's Axel Schuster. So the position hasn't been eliminated. We still have a CEO. It's just it's a joint thing. So it's been merged more than than eliminated. But Axel Schuster is now doing two full-time jobs. I'm sure Does that mean he gets two dollars? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure he won't. Uh, he, he's bound to have had an increase. There's no way you're going to 
double a guy's workload without giving him a, a nice increase. Are, are those like released along with the MLS salaries, or do we never get to see stuff like that? No, we don't get to see oh, that. That's disappointing. But like in all seriousness, it's a lot. I like I, I like Axel Schuster, and I think some of the stuff that he's done at the club, he's built a good team. He's He's put a scouting network in place and when you sit and talk to him, he's a student of the game and he loves the game. No problems at all with Axel. I genuinely don't know what he's going to be like in this position. I don't know what experience he's had, how much he's done with that at his previous clubs. I just feel it's a lot to pile on the shoulders of one man. Whereas before, you you had the two people doing it. Now, we're going to hear from Mark DeSantos a little bit in the next two parts. Um, he kind of addresses that, and I'll spoil it a little bit of what he says, but basically he feels that the team on the pitch right now is in a good position, that this is a, a good time to do this if you were going to do it. If a year ago you had said to him, I'm going to do this, or even six months ago, he'd have been like, ah, uh, no. But he feels everything's built, there are maybe just a couple of pieces away from having the exact squad that he wants. So he thinks that Axel is in a position to do that just now. That's just now. What happens maybe in six months or a year down the line if they need to rebuild the squad and things are a little bit more tricky? Can he then do both positions? How much work then goes back on the shoulders of Mark DeSantos, who the whole point of having a technical director was to take some of the work off his shoulders? I personally don't even think that uh, Axel Schuster will be doing much of a CEO position. I, I personally think he might be CEO name only. And other people, the team, uh, will be doing most of the work. So that's my... I, I, like. Yeah. I, I think they just named him in order to save face, in, order, yeah. in, in my totally. opinion. I mean, he even said that he'll get help from others. But, right, those who have been lurking in the shadows, uh, those with other roles, are definitely going to pick up a bunch of that, that business stuff, uh, like some of them probably have in, in, in previous years. Yeah. Final thing I want to say about Mark is, really wish him all the best. I'm pretty sure he's going to get snapped up soon by someone. I mean, he's got a great resume any any business that's looking to hire him, they'll just look at the fan reaction and go, wow, I've never seen anything like this for an executive. He's obviously the kind of person I want to have in my organisation. Whether that's soccer, whether that's another kind of sport. There's all these new teams that's going to be coming into MLS. I would not be surprised if he lands at one of those teams. So I wish him all the very best for that. The only other horrible thing about the timing of this, aside from the thing with his father, is... You're now making somebody redundant in a time when a lot of sporting organisations are having money trouble and aren't splashing money in hiring executives or bringing people in. So that might make it a little bit of a a longer time for him to land somewhere than maybe before. But this will give him the chance to spend a bit of time for his family. He hasn't seen his family since March and they were actually going to be heading up this week to join him in Vancouver. But... He's going to be spending time with them in Texas. So I, I I wish Mark all the very best. And I'm I'm pretty sure we'll get him on the show at some point down the line. Now, the fallout from this is there's been a lot of supporter ire. It's felt in the past, especially last season, that we've kind of been at the tipping point with, with fans walking away from the club. I don't know that that has maybe happened. Because a, a lot of folk did walk away last year. Some people waited to see what was happening. Some folk did walk away at the end of January. But a lot of folks stuck by the team and we had a great season opener crowd. There was a lot of excitement as to what could lie in in store with the club. 
But once again, it feels like we're at possibly a watershed moment, a, a tipping point. Many have said that they're going to cancel season tickets. I've had DMs from about 8 to 10 people saying, I've contacted my ticket rep and that's it, I'm not going ahead. There's been people posting on forums, on Facebook, on, on Twitter, saying, yep, that, that's I'm cancelling it, I'm not going ahead. Now, whether people are just saying that and they actually won't get around to doing it, we don't know. The only folk that's going to know that is the, the Whitecaps themselves. There's going to be some fallout from this. Folk are going to walk away for sure. Do you think it's going to be like in droves or do you think it's going to just be a small number that's going to maybe get bigger and bigger but ultimately, folk will soon forget about this if there's a winning team on the pitch. I, I think uh, I, I don't think you're going to get more season ticket holders for sure. So they will ha- it will have a negative impact. Um, I think there will be uh, more people canceling than signing up, especially considering we don't know like when people are actually teams are going to be playing in BC Place in this. Yeah. Point. So that's hundred percent sure. Uh, but I do think that a lot of the old time supporters they. I think initially, as my guess is that they, as a uh, as a protest, they will not be signing up for season tickets. They might buy uh, single tickets or something, even if it costs some more. Uh, but I think they just don't. They want to do it as a protest that we don't want to buy season tickets and to make. Uh, of course, Pandas will be there to tell us how many season tickets were sold. Uh, yeah. But uh, but at least at least they'll it'll be a protest for them in their eyes. Yeah, you'll, you'll never I agree, Steve. You'll never get the truth about how many have left over this because they'll never tell you because uh, any amount lo- is bad. And, and you're right. This particular situation is bad, is even worse for them because they have nothing to draw people in. They have nothing to keep people a part of it because nothing is going on. No, no one can go to a football match until maybe September at the very earliest. And even if that happens, it's like it's going to be – it's not going to be <laughs> like – it's not going to be a football atmosphere at the game. Like for sure, right? it's likely to be very different. So they're, they're they have nothing to like draw people in with. I mean, the Orlando tournament in a few weeks will help, but when you have nothing in your drawing people in and you're losing people, long time people, short time people, uh, people who have done um, a lot of heavy lifting in terms of uh, like on the supporter end. I, I know a lot of heavy lifters on, uh, have both demanded a refund for this season and have opted out of 2021 um, because they, they're just, they're just tired. Um, they, they, they don't want to support the club financially at all anymore. Um, they've got to go a few months without watching football and they understand that they can, there's other things in life and, and whatever. And they, they actually want to support something that they can believe in and that they, they, they think values them and cares about them as more than just money. And so whether the number is huge or whether the num- number to the front office is minuscule, it doesn't matter. They're losing people over this. And I think they'll continue to lose people over this in, in the short term. It's more about what happens, I think, in the long term around the lower mainland. Mm-hmm. BC League One, how quickly, like, is that still on schedule for next spring, next summer, I think can play a role in this. Things like TSS and what's, whatever is going to happen with them next year. Uh, the Canadian Premier League and how quickly it can get into the lower mainland, whether that's Fraser Valley or elsewhere, play a significant role in that. Uh, my, I, yeah, I've, I've received many messages from people saying, what's up with, with the CPL and the Fraser Valley? How quickly is it going to happen? Where is it going to be? All these kinds of things. And so uh, I think there's a few unknown elements that will make this even worse for them in the years going ahead. 
hopefully at least at the very minimum with BC League One next year, um, kicking off with some great clubs uh, and, and, and some great grassroots support and, and, and the ability to go watch, again, hopefully just a bit of a higher level than, say, VMSL or whatever to start with. Um, that, that people can go and support and something they can believe in it and, 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 and care about. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Whitecaps, I'm pretty sure will turn around and say, because I've had this conversation in the past, what you're, on, what you're getting by looking at Twitter and Facebook and online forums is a very small snapshot of the Vancouver fan base because a lot of the fans are more casual fans that aren't using Twitter. They're not using the social channels for the club. They're not commenting on it. And I, I genuinely do wonder how many of them really do give a toss that an executive's gone. If they're stuck by the club during a sexual abuse scandal, they're going to stick by the club with an executive gone. A, a couple of things, Michael. I agree with you. There are people, and I read this outside form this week as, as you did, uh, there are people who just want to go and watch football and they don't care about the other stuff. And that's fair enough. That's okay. The other thing I'll say to you, though, Michael, if that's really true, if the people in the front office really believe that, then why didn't they post this on Facebook or Instagram? They only posted it on Twitter. Really? They, they, they know that. Yeah. I mean, unless that's changed. I know the first day or two, they hadn't posted it there at all. Uh, maybe because they just got slaughtered, like absolutely slaughtered on Twitter. And rightfully so, in my opinion. Um, Twitter is usually such a nice place. And they continued. But that's the thing, though. They could, every post they make, it, it keeps coming back to uh, questions about Panis. Oh, really? Right? And they're going to get that. For who knows how long yeah the first day or two for sure every post had like a comment of like yeah we don't care what you say uh letting go panis was the wrong thing to do essentially is kind of what people are saying and so they can say all they want that oh it's only a few angry people on social media but if that's so why are they not sharing it on their all their social media yeah that's true what do you think the league thinks of all this because in the past don garber has singled out vancouver's ownership for needing to spend money, like the Alfonso Davies money, and to deal with things like that. They must be looking on at this and going, what is this organisation doing? Here is another big talking point. And I, like Steve mentioned The Athletic earlier, I signed up for their three months free trial, and I, I listened to the podcast that Sam Stasco and Paul Tenorio did. They tore into the Whitecaps, just as like, what is going on? Looking in from afar, we do not understand what is happening with this club. The league must be looking at this as well and going, what are you guys doing? Yeah, my understanding is the league in some, I can't remember where I heard this or what, but yeah, the league has expressed to the Whitecaps that, I think Don even said some stuff publicly, that the Whitecaps need to spend the Alfonso Davies money to bring in exciting players in a similar vein or that will, you know, move the needle for them or whatever. And we've talked about this before. As far as we understand, they spent about well, approximately eight, eight and a half out of the minimum, whatever, 13 million. So uh, I don't know what they've done with the other parts of it. We know it's not going to Mark Panis anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's probably all going to Nick Dasovich, but um, in, all, in all seriousness, like, yeah, what, what have they done? They brought in Lucas Cavallini for 6 million. They brought a few other players for, let's say, 2.5 million. But they haven't, they haven't been able to – none of those signings have moved the needle, right? Lucas Cavallini is exciting for, for um, people who, you know, follow and love Canadian football and, and know him and stuff, or maybe some people who follow Liga MX or whatever, but he's not someone who will immediately move the needle. In a year or two years, if he scores, you know, if he, if he does really well in the league, he might eventually, but they haven't, they haven't done what Don Garber has asked them to do in this right, I think, publicly, 
And I don't think they've been doing the things that Darren Garber's asked them to do privately either. Now, this week, kind of spearheaded by Glass City on Twitter, there was the hashtag sell the caps and it was trending initially in Vancouver and then by overnight it was trending throughout Canada. If you're talking about selling the caps, in all honesty, there's not a lot of people that spring to mind in Vancouver that would be queuing up during a pandemic to buy a club and keep the club in Vancouver. Aquilini is a name that's always got thrown around. Does he, is he still interested? Would he be getting it for the price he'd want to pay? Because you have to think as well, whatever the value of the club is, four expansion teams are coming in. And, and also, it's not going to be as much right now because of the pandemic. You're yeah. not going to get value because somebody else trying to undersell it. So there's no way the team's selling right now at all. And, and like you said before, uh, I don't know how much of the expansion money's come in, but there might be even more because if they expand to 32 teams, uh, which a lot of people think they will because they just want to even 16 on each side, that, that, that's more money coming in. Mm-hmm. I always mentioned before that I think, I feel like they, uh, we, like this is like a year ago even, so I think might have been, when I said that the Whitecaps will probably wait till all the expansion money comes in. There's going to be teams, cities left out of that expansion, and then they'll sell their MLS rights to somebody else. They'll keep the Whitecaps stuff, but they'll sell the MLS rights somewhere else. Right, yeah. so that's that's my guess of what would happen in the future if they were ever to uh, sell the club. I don't think they'll sell uh, sell it to another Vancouver and keep it in Vancouver. And M- Mallet has stressed he is not interested in selling. He wants to hand this on to his children. Maybe they'll sell it. Yeah, just like this <laughs> press conference, Michael. Michael, just like this press conference where again, we saw another example of them saying one thing that then other people contradicted. You know, shortly thereafter, multiple people have told me that even though they've said this thing in public that sounds nice, I want to pass on to my kids, they have, in recent, in the very recent years, been seeing if someone would buy it from them. So you cannot believe these people when they speak publicly because all they're trying to do is make their, themselves look good, make the club look good, so they, again, so that values stay high, they don't lose money. You cannot trust what they say publicly. Good job we decided to keep this part short, eh? Can I just say one more thing about the sell the caps thing? I said this on Twitter, but I want to say this on the show as well. Like, here's the thing. It's nice to use a hashtag. It's nice to go out there and use a hashtag, sell the caps. But if you are just using a hashtag and you're not actually following it up with action, then using a hashtag is absolutely useless. It means nothing other than being able to say it was trending. If you really believe these owners need to sell because you don't like how they treat people, you don't like how they run things, you don't like yeah, how they go, they go about things, then you can't give them money. So you can't buy season tickets from them. You can't let them keep your money for this year's season tickets. You need to ask for a refund. Um, And I know I'm a completely biased person. I stopped giving them anything other than ticket money in 2014 when I began to understand who they are and how they operate. I have not had season tickets since 2018 because, again, I I could not give them season ticket money um, because I just I, I don't believe in who who they are and how they're choosing to operate the organization. And so tweet, tweeting is good and it's helpful and it has a place, but action is what is needed if you really believe that something needs to be done about this organization. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully for the, the next couple of weeks and months, we're not going to be talking about off-the-pitch stuff. We're going to be talking about what's happening on the field. And we're going to do that in the next part because we're going to sit down with Mark DeSantos over the night in the next couple of parts just to chat about the Orlando tournament and some other Whitecap stuff. And we'll be back with that 
after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was this episode's song from AFTN's Artist of the Month for June, cult US band Pavement. That was a song called Here. Amazingly not written about Vancouver Whitecaps, as it came out in 1992 on their debut album Slanted and Enchanted. A great debut album all round though. If you've never heard a lot of Pavement or if you've never heard that album, recommend that as a really good place to start. So we're having a look at the departure of Mark Panis there in the first part. A man that barely had time to have a cup of coffee here in Vancouver. So little time in fact that we never even got a chance to ask him if he fancied a chocolate digestive. I was going to do that on this week's show but alas that was not to come to pass. Maybe at some point in the future. So we don't know if Mark fancied one, but let's find out if former SFU clan, WFC2, FC Cincinnati and current Colorado Springs Switchbacks head coach, Alan Koch fancies one. So you're sitting at home, you decide to have a hot beverage, what would be your hot beverage of choice? And are you a biscuits fan? And if so, what's your favourite kind of biscuit? Uh, yes, I am. Maori biscuits. Is that, what do they call? I, I'm, I get confused. Oh, my, my accent's confused. My accent's confused too. Is that, what, is that called a, a, a Marie biscuit in, in Canada? Oh, it, it might be. I don't really know what that is, but I have heard of a Marie biscuit. Well, that's pro- pro- probably it's pretty bland, but it is one of my favourites. Oh. And do you like to dunk? No, I don't. Oh. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Yes, we're bringing back all the old classics for this special 400th episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Alan Koch there, a man we've always enjoyed speaking to on the show. And if you didn't hear our great chat with him back in episode 394, just about his career and the challenge that lies ahead down in Colorado Springs, definitely recommend that you check that one out. But now it's time, though, for this week's special feature interview. 
All the attention this past week has been on the Whitecaps off the pitch. But let's not forget that the Whitecaps will be back in action on the football pitch in around three weeks' time. When, stroke if, the Orlando tournament goes ahead. We'll talk a little bit more about the Orlando tournament later in this show. But for now, I got a chance to sit down with Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantos this week just to look ahead to the Orlando tournament. How the Whitecaps might approach it, how prepared they feel that they are for it, and a few other topics as well. So grab your favourite hot beverage of choice, a chocolate digestive, and sit back for the next two parts as we chat with MDS. First thing to to say then is we're we're only a, a couple of weeks away now from finally getting back onto the pitch. H- how has it felt at training this week? Has it felt like there's a bit of a, a different buzz to the players because they actually know now that they're definitely going to be back playing in less than a month? The 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 vibe and the the quality of training and the uh, the quality of the attitude towards training and and. Training with content, training I would call it with a purpose, has impressed me. To be very honest, we this is not a preseason. We definitely uh, are in a position that is much more advanced than we were in a preseason. Uh, so the guys look much more ready. If we had a game Saturday, I think for at least 60 minutes of that game, we would be at a very good level. I was going to ask you like whether it felt like pre-season, but obviously it's feeling better than that. The, the Portland tournament, and you kind of touched on that last week when, when we did the media call, that gave you the experience of playing games with no fans there, apart from obviously the Portland one itself. Do you, do you think it's going to affect the players at all? Or is it, in a lot of ways, is it going to make it easier? Because you're maybe going to be playing a, a team like Seattle, whereas if you went down there, there's an intimidating atmosphere. But now it's just like two teams on a football pitch. It's uh, it's equal. You know, no no team in MLS being in Orlando could use an excuse of, of being pushed by fans. So it's really a mental test. It's a mental toughness, a mental test. And my example with our games against New England or or Minnesota uh, back uh, in Portland, it, it's not about having fans pushing you or an environment. It's about individuals that want to keep a certain mindset, be able to perform at a certain level every day. And if we go to Orlando with the same mindset that we had in Portland, well, we we will always have chances to beat any opponent. And not only Seattle, we could beat LAFC, we could beat Atlanta. Uh, and, and, and in a moment like that, it, it, it's really a, a question of mindset. But mindset without quality doesn't help either. You know, if I go with all my mindset or you to for a tryout to Barcelona, I promise you that both of us won't make it. You know, you need also quality and, and the quality of the players that have joined and even if they're very young players, um, have impacted the team in a positive way, that also that also helps. Talking of mindset then, one of the things we were talking about in last week's show is, and I hadn't really thought about this till it was brought up, 
you watch leagues around the world and say a team goes to like Anfield or Old Trafford and they play a certain way against the home side. They they kind of bunker in a little bit, play counter-attack football. But as you said now, it's a level playing field. So is that maybe going to affect some of your tactics in that you might play differently now against one of these teams than you would if it was like a, a normal game in one of their stadiums? Look, I, I think that the only place the, in our last five games, so including the Portland tournament, the only, the only game that we were away from our DNA and what we want to be about was Kansas City. Uh, all the other four games, we had a certain um, DNA and a certain identity to us that I want to see again in Orlando. So that's nothing related to, to, to fans, nothing related to opponent. It's related to me being here to slowly, and I spoke with about the about this to players yesterday, we have to take away that stigma that is in the club of being afraid of inferiority, of, of the opponent could have the ball and we'll just wait and counter. We need to aggress more. We need to be more of the aggressor and, and slowly that could change the culture of the club, the mentality of the club going forward. And, 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 and for that, you don't do it in some games. You do it, you try to do it every time. Now, what's going to change a little bit is in the strategic part of the game because it's so humid there and we're going to play in such a, a need that we have to be smart of those references of when to press and where and in what moments of the game so we could sustain the 90 minutes uh, being the most aggressive Possible. So I think that's the tweak into it. Again, with the five substitutions, you could be smart about them and deal with them well. Uh, but 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 our DNA, our identity needs to be 80% every moment of the game when we're there. I think one of the things that your squad has going in its favour is it, it's very deep. Whereas maybe a few teams spend some money on a couple of big name players and then kind of fill in the pieces, you've built a squad that, yeah, you've got Lucas Cavallini as your big name striker, but the rest of the squad, the money's been well spent. You've put together a strong depth. And for a tournament like this, do you feel that's going to give you a slight edge because you you have got players so deep that if you do need to call on five subs or you get injuries or something, you can go way into the 20s of your, your player squad and still put a good team out there. Look, there's no doubt that there's a lot of options. Hopefully, if Eric Godoy has a green light to, to participate in Orlando, and that's still a possibility, you're going to have, just on the, 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 the right-back position, you're going to have options like Genial Bico, Eric Godoy, Jake Nowinski, left-back Guti and Ali, uh, center-backs between Ranko, Godoy, Kimidi, Derek, Andy Rose, that played an excellent game in L.A. Then in the midfield, centrally, you have Bicol as an option, Ousuin, Don Russell. Uh, on the left side of the midfield, you have an option like Russell, you have Ryan Raposo, David Milinkovic, why do you have Dajame, Theo Bear, up front you have have Reina, Montero, Ricky, for sure. That that depth is, is crucial. But that depth is more important in a 
10 month season, 11 month season. And when you were going to a competition, my, my experience in a competition of one month and a half is that sometimes you have players that are very good during eight months, but in that month of competition, that that's the thing we have in front of us, you need to figure out more important than that is who are your most ready players for that month. And many times you'll be surprised you don't use 20 players. Competition like that, you use 15, 16 players. And if you look at the examples of the teams that got to finals of the World Cup, you could go back to Spain and South Africa or Germany and Brazil or France now. And you see, they don't use 20 players. They use 16, 15 players in the full run until to the final, but they use the guys that are more ready for their country in that month. And that's what we have to evaluate and assess. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, because I, I was going to ask you if you would use this as an opportunity. Like Obviously, the group games, you need to win those to, to advance. If you if you're up a couple of goals and it looks like the results going well, do you, do you try and blood some of the younger guys, even the homegrowns, give them a run out, or is it a case of game management, but also keeping the players that you want to play up to the levels that that you need them to be that, and they're only going to get that by being on the pitch. So the uh, the important thing here is that after Orlando, no one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, no one. Everybody has theories about it, but nobody that would be staying in his bed or, 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 or responsible would say that after Orlando, we're going to play here and there. No. Right now, we know that what we have in front of us is Orlando. In a fairy tale world, we're up by X amount and we could do rotation and put the guys that haven't played much give opportunity. When I look at our group, Seattle, Vancouver, San Jose, uh, and Dallas, I don't see fairy tale games. I see a very tight group with games maybe with one goal difference. That's how I see it. I see a level of competitiveness very high until the last minute. So right now, we look at those three games as nine points for the standings. I told the guys, today we're in a playoff position. We have the seventh spot of the West. When we get back from Orlando, we need to be in a playoff position still. Yeah. And with that being said, those, those nine points of the group are important. That's phase one. When you get out of the group, then you could start thinking about phase two. And phase two, when you're out of the group, is you have your four games away from from spot in Concacaf Champions League. So when you look at it in the, the two the two the two parts, I'm not going there with a fairy tale idea in my head, a huge voltage. I'm going there that maybe after Orlando, there's nothing. We have to put everything we have in Orlando, and we have to have on the field the guys that are the most ready to play. If that guy is a young player or an old player. That's very relative. Who's the, 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 the most ready player for that tournament of a month, month and a half? Now, for getting ready for it, I, I've kind of seen online a, a couple of clubs seem to be going down 
to Orlando a little bit early and they've got a couple of friendlies lined up. Looking at what they kind of did when the English Premier League came back, a lot of teams had some friendlies there, some teams just had like intra-squad games but between their own players. Are you looking to get some actual friendlies in or is it not going to be feasible because of when you guys are going to head down to Florida? Look, it's a, it's a great question and a, a very valid one because it's a philosophical answer that I have to give you because it's based in a, a decision-making. We're allowed to do both. We want to play an exhibition game here in Vancouver, hopefully against CPL team, but it doesn't look that like that's going to be possible because of testing, because of so many things. Then we have to take the decision on if we want to play an exhibition game down in Orlando, we have to go to Orlando uh, earlier yeah. because we have to be in Orlando at least seven full days before being allowed to play in an exhibition game. And that's based on all the testing and, and quarantine period uh, that we have to have there. When we looked at that, we said, it's already very tough mentally for the players to be away from their families. The feedback we get from a lot of players in MLS is the distance between them and their family and everything. And we already think it's a long period away for, for maybe 50 days. So we want to make sure that we look at the mental side first, and we chose the mental side. So we chose not to go earlier. That means that we can play exhibition games. Other teams have taken the same decision as us. Um, so we will have uh, around three inter-squad games that we can have referees involved. Players are going to be, one team's going to be with the white uh, or white kid, the other team with the dark blue kid. We'll make it the most game official possible, uh, but we decided to, to support the, health, the mental health of the guys and, and stay home, train in our environment, be in our environment, and just go, go to Orlando eight, nine days before our first game. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense because I, I was going to ask ab about the mental side of, of being away. And I, I read a very interesting Twitter thread yesterday from a, a guy that covers the NBA and he was kind of outlying some of the things that the NBA are, are doing for the players to kind of stop them going stir-crazy. So putting on movies and maybe bringing entertainers in, they might get access to the theme parks after hours, stuff like that. Is that anything you've heard about that MLS might be doing? Or how do you stop the the players from going a bit stir-crazy and basically things affecting their mental health once you get down there? Yeah, look, it's, uh, thanks for telling me that. I didn't really read that article, but it, it kind of reinforces even more the decision from us in our performance group of uh, giving all, always priority to the mental side. Um Look, I'll tell you this. I, I, I'm i hearing of some things between MLS and Disney of having some events, some different things, even at the hotel and all that. Mm. I don't know all the details. As a coach, we're going to try to do different things. I even want to do a, a, a FIFA tournament 
by by um, PS or or Nintendo Switch and and even the staff participates in it and every group the group stages are in different rooms like if they would be in different cities you know we're we're trying to do things I, I know that um, that part is very challenging because you can never leave the hotel but it's a part that we we're going to be very careful with and and the first attitude we took towards that was to make sure uh, that we wouldn't go to to Orlando so many days before and maybe having the guys there almost uh, three weeks before our first game just to play one exhibition game and we just felt that it's a, a, a decision that was taken to reinforce again how serious we take that mental health uh, I'd asked you last week, um, we, we talked about how, how the broadcasts might look with it pumped in crowd noise. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Premier Games on Wednesday. I was pleasantly surprised how the, the crowd noise sounded in that. It, it actually felt quite natural. I just was curious to see if you had any more thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I watched uh, part of the Man City uh, Arsenal game yesterday. Uh, and it was interesting. It's just that you're you're hearing the crowd, and you're you're not uh, you're not hearing uh, the, the, the you 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 don't see the visual attached to the crowd. Mm. So, so that's a little bit weird. But I watched the Napoli Juventus game, uh, the the final of the Coppa Italia, and that was even more weird because there was all this setup. It looked like fans jumping. During 90 minutes to start, fans looked fitter than the players because they were jumping 90 minutes in the stands. <laughs> but there was no sound of the crowd attached to that. And that also seemed weird. Mm. Anything that is not natural is weird. It's just the way life is. And you see it in many things. You see it when people do things to their bodies that are not natural, a surgery or something and they show up in a restaurant, we all look, and that's kind of weird, uh, and that person, you know, anything that's not natural sometimes looks looks out of place, I would say, and that's how I feel about about uh, about this crowd thing. You know, soccer is a very passionate sport with fans, with noise, with whistle, whistling towards the team, with the coach not being able to pass his message across because of the noise. That's the nature of the game. And once that is taken away from it, you could try different things, but it's just going to bring you a little bit of peace, but not the reality. That's my opinion. Yeah, very true. Well, that definitely seems like a, a good time to take a little break. So we'll be back with more chat from Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantis after this. Hi, I'm Lucas Cavallini. You're listening to the AFD Soccer Show. Ain't no point, why didn't just take the stain? 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. That was the Wooden Tops with their 1986 single, Well, Well, Well. That was also our first song in tonight's Three of a Kind. For any new listeners or if you want a refresher, at the start of parts 3, 4 and 5 of the AFTN Soccer Show, we will play a song. That is linked by something. Could be the subject matter, the band, where they come from, year of release, whole host of things that it could be. Your job over the next couple of parts is to one, work out what that link might be, and two, if you've managed to guess the link after the second song, can you work out what our third song is going to be that kicks off part five? These have been pretty easy over the the previous weeks, I think, but this is a more tricky one tonight, and it's a... I won't give you any clues just now. Might give you a clue after we play the song that kicks off part four. That was the first song, Well, 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 by The Wooden Tops. What do you think this week's link is? Well, let's get back to our chat with Mark DeSantos now, as we chat a little bit more about Orlando and just some general Whitecap stuff. The Champions League spot that is up for grabs with the Orlando tournament, we talked about that last week as well. The Champions League here, it's a tournament I've always enjoyed and I I know at Montreal you guys really wanted to, to be in it and take it seriously and whenever Montreal has been in it they've always done well. It's a tournament I feel it's very undervalued on this continent but I mean from you speaking last week it means a lot to you. Just maybe get your thoughts on how important this tournament could be in North American football. I uh, I said it clearly. You know, I was surprised when people were asking me about the one million or one point one million dollar yeah. prize before talking to me about the Champions League spot. And I think maybe that's that's cultural. Uh, I I really think uh, that you know there's twenty six teams that are going to be focusing make points uh, in the group stage, but once they're la- in the last 16, the focus of the teams is going to say, wow, now we're, we're 16 teams with a chance to be in that in that CONCACAF Champions League spot. What I've noticed, though, is uh, I'm a little bit disappointed with uh, with the Champions League still in North America and in CONCACAF. Uh, it's a great tournament. It's a tournament that has to to grow in culture. Maybe it's a tournament that's in need of a, a marketing, uh, more of a, 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 a even a, a, you know things that are built around the tournament need to go to another level. And I remember when uh, Europe started evaluating the European Cup versus the Champions League, mm. it make a di- it made a difference when they changed their ball, put an anthem so many different things that they added to the Champions League also financially that changed it. 
here, I, I, I would, would like clubs and coaches to take it a little bit more seriously. And I, I don't feel it's always done like that. I feel that there's a big focus towards the MLS league games, and sometimes there's so much rotation. There's young players and some MLS teams that get their first shot in a CONCACAF Champions League game instead of a, a regular season game. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of rotation of, of players in that tournament. Uh, I, I just hope, because I, I like it so much, and I believe the Champions League gives growth not only to, to the, the continent, but also to the country, um, should be a priority every time a team is, is inserted in that competition. And it, it hasn't been the case all the time, maybe also because we have to review our schedule is set up. You know, sometimes there's so many games around Champions League. Uh, but, but again, when I look at Europe, the Champions League is priority. If a coach um, is coaching in a league game and he knows on Wednesday there's Champions League, he's going to give priority to Wednesday. And if he has to, to rotate, he's going to rotate in the, the regular season and then not, not in Champions League. So I think there's still a, a cultural barrier towards this competition, a need of understanding this competition better. And this is maybe one of the reasons why... why um, why us NLS? We never won uh, Concacaf Champions League. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, I, I, I just, I've always enjoyed it, and it has always disappointed me as well when, when clubs haven't taken it seriously. I mean, the other competition that I know means a lot to you as well is the Canadian Championship and the the Voyagers Cup. No one really knows what's happening with that this year, or what's happening with MLS, as you said after this tournament. Where would you like to see the Voyagers Cup? I know you haven't got the, the ultimate voice in this, but where would you personally like to see the Voyagers Cup this year, priority-wise? Would you like to see it played before more league games, or do, do you feel it should definitely take place this year? And if so, what format would you like to, to see it in? Look, I I think there's going to be huge challenges with scheduling uh, CPL, MLS, Huge huge, huge challenges right after Orlando. But if it's possible, if there's space to do it, I think it's a must to do it. Now, many ways could be done. It could be done on a just a, a, a simple draw. All the CPL teams, uh, the, the 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 MLS teams, a simple draw. Uh, who plays home? Who plays away? Or it's decided also upon. How the market, how secure are the markets to play when it comes to twelve? Um, then that draw would be a one game, a one game game, and I, I think it's the only way to go about it. Or you do it based on what happened in the last Canadian Cup last year. That would have uh, the teams put in an order and playing home or away one game again. Uh, but I. I, I I hope, and if my voice is important in this, I really encourage that if if soccer is allowed to play be played in our country, like Montreal's going to slowly open their market and other markets are opening, why not us in Canada go on with our cup and, and, and have a Canadian Cup champion this year and keep going 
Right now, it does certainly seem hard with quarantine at the border and everything like that as to how things are going to be after this tournament, which, as you said, puts a lot of emphasis on this tournament. Last two things I want to quickly ask you not to do with the tournament. One, Montreal signed two homegrown players on Wednesday in a way that I'd never heard of before, which was off-roster homegrown spots. It was a, a new thing to me. Is that something that you're looking at possibly to maybe... You've signed a lot of homegrown guys, but to, to to secure their future at the club, is that something that the club are actively looking at right now? To be honest with you, we're re-evaluating uh, everything regarding contracts, talking also with the league about a player that is signed the homegrown. Does he automatically have to have an MLS spot? What does the salaries look like? We're looking at all of that and all the possibilities moving forward. And I think MLS talking about a U23, possible U23 league um, moving forward. We don't know when. Uh, all of that's going to be impacted. What is important here is that signing homegrown players only makes sense if there's a pathway. Yeah. And right now, we need to bring a lot of clarity to the pathway. We don't have a USL team. We don't have a US, U23 team yet. We just have a development squad. We need to make that more clear before we continue taking decision in other players. Yeah, that makes total sense because signing a guy just so you can keep hold of him and not play him doesn't seem to do, do a lot for for the players. Now, the last thing to ask you, obviously it's been a, a turbulent week this week with, with Mark Panis moving on. I was curious, because Axel is now taking on two roles, um, the whole point of having the sporting director was to take a lot of the work off your shoulders. Does it look like you now might be getting more workload put on, on your back again? So, just, just on Mark, uh, Mark is someone that was more responsible on the, the front office side. So I, I, I my 95% of my time was with Axel in, in UBC yeah. and on the structure side. Uh, every time I had to deal and every time I had encounters and meetings with Mark, I even went with the team to LA, watched the game against the Galaxy. He, he, he spent a good period of time with us in, in San Diego in preseason was a great time, great interaction, a lot of respect, great. Now, I don't talk a lot about this, or I try not to talk about the situation, because sometimes in life, you look at things in such a superficial way without knowing what's at the core of everything. And then the people that understand what's at the core of everything actually think that the comments are, are quite stupid. Uh, so I learned that do about that to do that I learned this year to live like that because we look like experts in everything sometimes even with uh, you know and I, I'll answer your, your question on Axel but even with things that are happening in the world like uh, even uh, the movement Black Lives Matters that is incredibly important and, and I support deeply uh, all of it but many comments 
without knowing everything around it. So I decided as a human being not to comment on things that I'm not an expert or I'm not inside. My job there is to coach the team, change the identity of the team that it was asked from me, to be more of an aggressive team, to bring players with that profile. And I'll tell you that the last year and a half here was incredibly challenging because we had such a turnover, such a turnover. So we don't even have a team. Uh, we didn't even have time to build a team that has, that has worked together for a lot of, uh, for two years. And the most successful teams have been together for at least a year and a half, two years. You, you don't hear of a lot of teams that are come together quickly. So we, in the last year and a half, and in the process, Axel joining, we were able to do a turnover where we had a lot of players on loan, a lot of decisions that we could we could have taken in a, in a, in a good way in breeding and in analyzing well. We weren't in prison, I would call it, with contracts that we we had to keep. So we had leverage to move, and that leverage allowed us to bring Tosrikit, Lucas Cavalini, David, Christian Dajon, Genio Bikel, Ousu, Ranko. So uh, uh, Gutierrez, you know, just to, to name a few, that now we feel that a core was built that we're still looking in the next six months for maybe two major spots, two important spots that we're still looking at. But we're not looking for 18 players or 10 players. So I think we put ourselves in a position that, Right now, on the soccer side and the sporting side, it's very clear what we're doing and looking for. So I think if there is a moment for Axel to take two roles, it would be this one. If you would tell me that one year ago, I would say it's going to be impossible for Axel or for me. But yeah. right now, the way things are set up, I think we put ourselves in a position where we could go on and, and with our jobs, and there's a huge amount of trust between all of us at UBC and how we work and mentality of everybody that we're, we're in the right path. Fantastic to hear. Thank you so much, as always, for your time this morning, Mark. I'm sure we'll speak again before you head off to, to Orlando, but if we don't, t- safe travels and take care, and really looking forward to seeing the team back out in the pitch. Thank you very much. Nice speaking to you. So that was Mark DeSantos there, just sharing some thoughts about the, the Whitecaps, the Orlando tournament, and a few other things as well. Now, one of the things he alluded to there was the squad depth. He, he feels it's a deep squad. I kind of do as well. Mentioned in the first part that I was listening to the Athletics uh, podcast, it's called Allocation Disorder. And they, the guys there, Sam and Paul, were saying that they feel that the Whitecaps have the, the worst roster in the league which I thought was a little bit harsh. We're 1-1 one one for the season. We went down and won NLA. 
we didn't play well against KC, Mark admits that. We don't have the weakest roster in the league. I, I don't think so either. I think it's like a, uh, I think it's a lot of overflow from last year. Um, that's the one thing that they have improved on is on the pitch right now at this point through two games, through limited. I, I will say this. I agree with you guys both. I agree that that's a harsh sentiment, but I don't think Vancouver's roster is very good, even in an MLS way of looking at things. Um, because again, they don't use the designated player spots the way they could. And I think that really, really holds them back. Uh, that's one of the, one thing they don't have that many most teams in the league do have, and I think will always make people look down on them because of that. Now they can overcome yeah. a little bit with with chemistry and you know work effort and work rate and all that kind of stuff. But I definitely do not think they have the quality when you compare them to but, some other. But the other thing I'll say is the depth. The depth. Yeah. I agree. Like we've said, like for ten straight years, we've said the depth this year in the squad is better than next year, and that's what's supposed to happen in a salary budget league where it goes yeah. up every year. You should get better every year. The problem is, I think most teams in the league, maybe, probably not everyone, like they would say, have also gotten better. And Vancouver is, is not fully keeping up with, with most of the teams, I would say. But I don't think most of the teams do use their deep, the DP spots that well. Like not most, sorry, not most. I see, I'd say uh, half of them don't use it that well. So I would say that they're right in the same, same boat with everybody else. Yeah. And like this is a tournament as well where teams have not been playing, so you don't know who's going to be fit. And Mark said there that these the guys are taking it really seriously. They want to to win this tournament first and foremost. They want nine points from the group games because we just don't know what's what's happening after after this. But it'll be like the academy when they change the rules and everything halfway through. The oh, tournament. probably something will screw us over. I mean, talking of the academy, they're they're not going to be playing the kids, just throwing them in by the sounds of it. I thought he may have done that initially, but then the last couple of weeks when he's been talking about the tournament, I think he's made it clear he really wants to win it. I was a little bit surprised that he said some of the best teams can win a tournament like this with just using 15 or 16 players. That does feel like you're maybe going to be really struggling to get the, the best out of some of the guys and like just running them into the ground. But no one really knows what's happening after the tournament. MDS talked about it there. He's putting everything we have into Orlando is what what he said and I I think that's the sensible thing and I think they're 66 to 1 in the bookies odds to to actually win the tournament which yeah they might not win it but I I definitely think they'll get out of the group and once it's a knockout round it's a one-off game anything can happen in a one-off game no I agree with that like uh Especially the way they play sometimes, where you, like, especially last year when you didn't expect them to win, and they uh, we end up getting a result. Yeah. Um, and they are in a weaker group, I think. I can't remember. Was it FC Dallas? Seattle's in it. Yes. Yeah, FC San Dallas and San Jose. Mm-hmm. So they're in it. They're in a play. They're against te- players or teams, um, especially uh, Seattle, uh, San Jose. Uh, Seattle and San Jose had the coronavirus. Uh, wrapped up initially where they were probably shut down really quickly. And then now FC Dallas is in a hot spot in Texas where now it's really like wrapped up. So who knows how many players are going to be testing positive there. Remember players test positive, they're out of the tournament basically, essentially. Like, well, uh, so if they could, if the Whitecaps could keep coronavirus free, which thanks to Dr. Bonnie Henry is, is probably a better, best chance. And by the way, she, nobody should, she should never have to buy a drink or a meal again for the rest of her life. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think they have a very good chance in, in that case. 
Now, it doesn't look like the Whitecaps will be playing anything apart from intra-squad friendlies because they don't want to go down to Florida early. In the next part, we're going to talk about the Orlando tournament. So to me, that's very sensible. And they're focusing on the players' mental health. Because being away from your, your family for six weeks is bad enough. You go down early just to play a couple of friendlies and you're going away at, what, eight weeks? So I think that that's a sensible thing. But it's also nice as well to see him valuing the Champions League spot. We talked about that last week. But also he wants the Voyager's Cup played. He wants that to be an important thing that that is done this year. And I agree with him. It, it should have priority over some of these league games. The Voyager's Cup can be played in a bubble where they can actually mm. play the game, I think, over three weeks, uh, the whole tournament if they wanted, or even less than three weeks if they wanted to. Would we... we uh, three games in a week or something like that, and then it's a total of 10 games. So I, I think they could do it in two, three weeks, bang yeah. it out. Maybe they could play in like Saskatchewan or something like that. Uh, I would love it to be in PEI or on, in Langford, personally. Another great photo, Steve, uh, with uh, Mark in his uh, Swole Park Ranger days talking to Michael. Yeah. Still got that hat and that T-shirt, probably. Because I'm, I'm wearing for this... Uh, an East Fife t-shirt from nine, East Fife jersey from 1996 it was our first tartan strip we've got our new tartan strip coming out for this season East Fife wore this shirt when they played Man United in a friendly and the Man United team was David Beckham Steve Bruce Ryan Giggs all the young guys I thought you were just wearing a flannel shirt yeah yes sir I, I'm wearing uh, one of my favourite jackets Michael you can't really see it but it's uh it's a very nostalgic jacket because it has... Um, well, you keep rubbing it. It's hard to see it with your hand on it. You, know, you can't see it. It has uh, f- flare holes in it from Swan Guard. Oh. oh. <laughs> wow, it's not just me that keeps clothes then for a long, long time. Last thing for this part, just for what Mark was saying, we touched on the homegrown rules there and the, the rule that I had not heard before until Montreal signed two players this week, off-roster homegrown deals... So until they actually play a game, they don't count towards the salary cap. I think that's sensible. Mark talked about the club as kind of talking to the league just now about how things like this can work. Maybe it's a new thing that MLS started to keep people from going to Europe, I guess. That could be it. I I think it makes total sense if that is what they've done. But Mark also dropped a little snippet in there that MLS are looking into an under-23 league because we know they've they've taken over USSDA. That doesn't exist anymore. An under-23 league, to me, is the most sensible thing because you're getting the two teams out of the USL. A lot of them aren't even competitive in there, and it's just it's embarrassing for the league, really, to have some of these teams. So if you had an under-23 league, that, that's the best thing, I, I think, for teams like the Whitecaps. Yeah, that was one of the interesting things that MDS just said in that interview was that, yeah, we, we want to bring through young players, but we literally don't have the pathway here right now set up the way it needs to be. Michael, do you, th- do you think it's too much to, to say that if the MLS two sides left USL, that that's maybe the beginning of, of, of some of the, the fracturing or the separ- separation between the two leagues? Very possibly. I mean, they'd have worked closely together. If you take the two teams out of it, I don't really see what is in it for, for USL to keep the partnership going. You could have loan deals coming down, but if you've got an under-23 league, surely teams would just be having their guys in that. Yeah, I, I don't see what the USL would benefit from from keeping that relationship. You obviously want to keep MLS sweet because you don't want them then trying to instigate their own 
sort of second division tier of clubs or whatever and try and take things away from USL. That would be the only thing. This, this U23 thing also sounds a little bit like a, a modified reserve league, right? It basically is. It, it's all but, but I think the teams would really be going for it and wanting to win. So I think it will be a competitive league. But for development things, it's actually giving them the games that they need. And that's what all these young guys need. You can almost guarantee they'll, it'll say it'll be U23, but they can have exceptions. So it'll essentially be uh, the reserve league uh, or, yeah, their own two, their own, their own setup for twos. Yeah. Yeah. But that is it for this part. We will be back after the break looking at the MLS Orlando tournament. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kripo from the Vancouver Whitecaps, and you're listening to the EFTN Show. The dinosaurs are stopped on Denmark Street. The boots of Hendrix lick my feet. I'm not bothered, I never was. It's a crap caravan on tits was. The dinosaurs are stopped, no way to get down. The meteor sinks its teeth in the ground. I'm not bothered, I never was. It's a crap gag from Spit the Dog. Cameron's hairdresser, guy and MBE. I said to my wife, you better shoot me. It's all gone, what do I do? Tell my daughter it's not true. Tell my daughter it's all gone wrong. Pete Tong, Pete Tong, Pete Tong. Get out of the mood, dark race. Get out of the way. Get out of the mood, dark race. Get out of the way. The dinosaurs are stuck on Denmark Street. The boots of Hendrix lick my feet. I'm not bothered, I never was It's a crap caravan on tits was The dinosaurs are stalked, no way to get down The meteor sinks its teeth in the ground I'm not bothered, I never was It's a crap gag from Spit the Dog Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM That was English band Sleaford Mods there with a song from their 2014 album, Divide and Exit, Tis Was. Today is Saturday. Watch and smile. If you've no idea what I'm talking about, this is probably going to make this week's three of a kind a little bit more difficult. That's one of the clues I'm going to give you. So we had Well, Well, Well by the Wooden Tops as the first song. Tis Was by Sleaford Mods there. Now all I'll say is that the link this week isn't just about the songs. Have you worked out what connects this week's three of a kind? If you have, what do you think the third song is going to be? We'll find out at the start of part five. We'll get back to chatting about MLS and the tournament down in Orlando very soon. But before that, it's wavelength time, everybody. Yes, my favourite part of the show. The part where we play a song about football. It could be by a band. It could be by a footballer. It could be by a football team itself. But the one thing that brings all the songs in this section together is they're all about football. And we're going back to 2013 this week and a song from a a London band that we've played before on the show, Booze and Glory. And this song is from their 2013 LSC Singles Collection CD. And it features, on vocals, a man whose own band has featured in the show a lot, The Businesses, Mickey Fitz. 
Both bands are big West Ham fans. We've played some of their West Ham songs on the show before. And this one is its weird to listen to it because it's seven years old, but it's as relevant today as it was back in 2013. This is We're Not On Our Way to Wembley. and Glory featuring Mickey Fitz. R.I.P. Mickey. And that was We're Not On Our Way to Wembley, all about West Ham and their struggles to stay up. Fast forward seven years, they're in the same boat, 
facing relegation from the Premier League, not playing very well, and you kind of have to wonder at the moment where their next win is going to come from. No wonder Karen Brady wanted to just scrap the leagues and just have no promotion or relegation. They look in a lot of trouble this year. Okay, let's get back to the football chat now. And we're going to be looking at the Orlando tournament. We've talked about it for the last couple of weeks. We've not had Steve on for the last few weeks, so it'll be interesting to get his thoughts on, on some of these things. MLS is back. And it will be back on the pitch in about three weeks' time. Or will it? Because the number of positive COVID cases in Orlando, and in particular Florida as a state, continues to go up. The league and the MLSPA don't seem overly worried just yet, or at least the the Players Association aren't making any public comments about that. They might be having private discussions about that. The case numbers are going up, no matter how you look at it. The deaths aren't just the positive tests. Of course, if you listen to Donald Trump, if they stop testing, then there won't be as many positive tests. So that that's the way to solve that. Maybe that's why MLS aren't going to be testing all the catering staff and the driving staff and stuff, because if you don't test them, then you're not going to get a positive test. Just take the temperature, it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. Because it's hot in Florida anyway, so the temperature will be elevated. Yeah, everybody's going to have a fever there. Now, Bill Hamid sent a a tweet this week. Basically, he sent a tweet out saying that he felt it was like they're going to be in jail. They're going to be, like, caged and you have to let the people out because he said, I'm allowing you to shove something up my nose every two days, but yet we can't go out and we're kept in the hotel. What he's missing by that is it's it's not that they don't trust the players to do something. It's like you're going out into the public that are clearly not following things and getting sick. Yeah, exactly. Especially down south. That's that's why it's, the numbers are increasing so much. Uh, you, it's how, how many weeks did they say it's gonna this tournament's gonna be like a month? If, if you're if you're at the very end, six weeks. Yeah, and so Bill Hamid, who if he wants to get out, just let in a few goals, and that's no big deal. You, you'll be out in like two weeks. Yeah, just have your three games. You'll be back home with your family. Can you imagine that if some people like throw the through this thing because they know they're going to get paid for the whole thing, right? Yeah. They're getting their salaries. So you imagine them like, throwing the games or whatever but in, you'd have in to, order to get out of their. You'd have to be really bad in all the games not to go through. Three, three of the four teams is pretty much going to go through. Although there was an interesting thing at the start of last week. I can't remember the website, so apologies for that. But they were basically analysing. They don't understand why MLS have done it this way because the six teams in the first group are severely hampered because only the top two go through. Whereas it should really have been the top three that went through. So you've got half the teams in every group and then you would just have the three best third place stroke fourth place teams that would go through. So that does make a lot of sense. I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if MLS changed that because they haven't released the schedule yet. I don't know if that's because of TV deals because... Well, we'll come at that in a sec. Going back to like being stuck in in the hotel, Keith Smith, who covers the NBA for Yahoo, he had a very interesting Twitter thread on Wednesday that was detailing what he's been told are the NBA and Disney's plan for their players in Orlando. Now, that NBA is allowing families to come for one thing, but they're putting on entertainment in the hotel. They're going to have after hours visits to the theme parks. Oh, the families are coming in. Uh, not initially, but once teams get eliminated and kicked out of the whatever, like they, they're eliminated oh. from the thing, as the weeks go on, more family will be allowed in. But initially, there will be no family in for those first uh, regular season and probably the first round, two rounds even. 
so oh, that right. might be a little bit more up there. I, I, I heard it because ESPN now comes on on our show, I think, so I'm able to watch it. So you, they update it regularly. So initially, no family, and as teams get eliminated, they get sent home. Then they'll allow it to bring family in because it'll be teams that last longer there. You're you're right about the the, the entertainment. They'll, there's like a DJs. There's like a bowling. There's a whole bunch of other things. There's a lot of mm. because nobody else is going to be using it. Only the, the players. There's nobody nobody else there. Did you hear, Steve, that as a part of this, Disney is going to put on uh, screenings of movies yeah, uh, that sure. won't be in theaters until months later? Yeah. So yeah, I heard of that. They're going to get to watch like Black Widow before it comes yeah. out in November. All of a sudden, we see Steve signed a homegrown contract. I'm going to have to get a better mask than this to cover the, everything else on like my face. Steve just needs to find a relative in the NBA. <laughs> you can go be a part of their family. Now, I mean, MLS haven't announced what they're doing yet. Mark kind of alluded to the fact that they're looking at doing things as a club to try and keep people basically mentally switched on because that, that's going to be the hardest part. You're away from your family. You're all in the one hotel as well, which I... I still think is is crazy i know these are big big hotels but like keeping the players mentally focused and not going stir crazy is definitely going to be a thing that the teams that do that best are the teams i think that will perform best on the pitch yeah i like i can uh kind of relate a little bit i probably had a, uh, a shorter term but uh i was stuck in my room for two weeks because my mom came back from india and uh so and i because i have asthma uh, I would not want to interact with anybody. And so she was in her room for two weeks. I was in my room for two weeks. Uh, did I tell you guys? No. no. Oh, I never mentioned that. Oops. Okay. Uh, so, uh, breaking That's news. where he was. Um, <laughs> no. So I was in my room because I, 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 I had my work in my room too. So I was able to. So I had no interactions. Sandeep stayed in the kids' room for two weeks. She slept there. I stayed in my room by myself. So by the you know, Thursday or, because uh, I got out on Friday, but like Wednesday, Thursday, I was going very stir crazy in my room. It was pretty it, hard. It, it skipped the dishes come to the window or? No, no. She, uh, my, my wife, she delivered the food in the front of the, in the, front of the room. It was like so a little got like in prison movies. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was essentially a knock. You're right. hundred percent. Did you tip well, Steve? Oh, after the two weeks. Oh, no. Oh, oh I, I, let me put an image for that. No, just kidding. Uh. <laughs> Now, I mentioned about the, the broadcasting side of things as well. Now, the situation between ESPN, who are producing all of the content and then licensing it for other broadcasters, because it's at the ESPN Worldwide of Sports, their negotiations with Fox or their dealings with Fox, they don't appear to have gone smoothly, according to The Athletic. Fox coverage, apparently, when they're producing MLS games, they spend about $75,000 producing a match. ESPN spend about $100,000 producing a match. I don't know if that's because Taylor Twellman's salary is a lot more expensive than what the Fox commentators have. But the feeling is that because of innovations and stuff to, to do with what they also have to get security-wise, safety-wise for, for this tournament, each match is going to cost 125000 to produce. So ESPN obviously are then wanting to recoup that but Fox aren't wanting to pay anything like that for the game. So there's a little bit of a, a stalemate, and I think that might be why we don't have the schedule yet. Maybe Fox are saying, well, we want the best matches then if we're paying for that. And he's paying, will be like, well, no. They apparently pay the same amount of money just now for rights. And the, the rumours are 
that Fox are quite pissed off that they've not been involved in as much of the consultations about the MLS's back process as ESPN have been. I, I don't know what the truth of all this is, but it's it's not an ideal situation, but I, I actually, I understand why Fox would be a bit pissed off with this. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, if, if it's going to be a stalemate and it's going to affect the coverage, then MLS has to come in and make up the difference. Essentially, they, they oh. have to foot the bill at yeah, this point. Actually, so, that, that might be what Fox are then saying. It's like, we're only we're paying what we usually pay, so you have to yeah. pay the rest. Yeah, that would make total sense, actually. How are they going to do that when they're losing a billion dollars this year? Hey, it's Mickey Mouse dollars. It's fine. They'll just go, they'll get their Mickey Mouse dollars, hand it out. Yeah, I, I heard this earlier this week, too. And uh, yeah. Talking of the broadcasts, we, we talked to MDS last week and this week about how he'd like these broadcasts to go. And we'll get Steve's opinion in a sec we haven't chatted to Steve about this. Now, I've been watching the English games that's back. I hadn't previously been watching any games in Germany or Italy or Spain. So this week, I've seen games with the fake crowd noise pumped in. I've seen games without any fake noise and basically just the players shouting and managers swearing quite a lot. I thought the Premier League did really well with the fake crowd noise. On a whole, there was a couple of times it was maybe just a little bit off, but on the whole, I actually thought they had done pretty well with it. But once I had the games with no fake crowd, I was like, oh, I much prefer this. I just want to hear the the managers shouting, the players shouting, and then the benches cheering when there's a goal going in. I'd still like that to happen down in MLS. I think there's no way we're going to get that. I think we're going to get fake crowd noise. And we touched on it in last week's show because in America in particular, they're just so wary of having any swear words on TV, especially games that might be going out at 6am as well, Pacific time, that I don't think you'll be getting swear words. So I think we'll be getting fake noise pumped in. Well, if they're worried about swear words, you just put on a delay, like a 10 minute, even do a 5-10 minute delay and you can cut those out if the swearing comes up. That might be a lot. But the most likely, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Uh, but I, I personally don't have an issue with uh, the piped-in noise if they want to do it that. Or uh, I always thought that the best thing to do would to be like have people that you know the the people that are watching it they can sign into an app on their phone and then they make the noise and that noise gets you don't even need to have fake you could have that coming over the speaker people talk uh, yelling about the game and stuff like that. I thought that would be like a way to do it. And I saw that. Well, but when you have a whole bunch of people doing it, you, it, it kind of melds in and everything and you don't hear it. People swear oh, I've in, the, got apps like that. in the crowd all the time. Yeah. So, I, and then I, I noticed a couple of, I don't know if it was Germany or England. I just saw pictures, but there were pictures of people watching it from home on, on screens yes. and everything like that. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting too. Like they, you could do it. You could do it where, had it in the stadium. They had like the little faces behind one of the goals that you could pay to do. And then other, other things are doing cardboard cutouts. They might have to do that in order to make money. They would sell like the ability to people have people on their face, their faces on the screens and stuff like that. I, I hope they do. I am going to be posing like this with my Mickey Mouse ears on. You pay for that, Michael? I, 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 I'd pay for that. There's not a lot of things I'd pay for, but I'd pay for that. Moken Gladbach is the club where each game has grown, and yeah, they have the cardboard cutouts of their of their of their supporters and fans in the in the stadium, and yeah, it's literally grown every match. I'd suggested on their East Fife podcast that East Fife did that, and then once 
we were back to normal, someone had to take me to all the games anyway as my cardboard cutout. That would be awesome. Anyway, last bit just to wrap this up. So we know MLS is returning. USL announced this week that they've struck a deal with, with the USL PA. They're going to return on July 11th and the League One USL will return a week later. We've still no date yet for CPL, but fingers crossed that'll be back soon as well. But that is it for this part. Steve and Zach will be leaving me now. I'll be doing the final part on my own. Just before we go, lads, let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter if I ever show up there at Whitecaps Beat. And yeah. I just before, I think we should mention, uh, considering we're ending this part here, a big congratulation goes out to uh, Alfonso Davies for being named Rookie of the Year for Bayern Munich and Bundesliga, even though I had no idea this award was even <laughs> around. I didn't even know they uh, uh, handed out Rookie of the Years and stuff like that in the Bundesliga. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. They haven't been doing it long. Yeah, and he was the Bayern Player of the Month, uh, Player of the Month for like May or June or whatever, or both. No, not both. I think May or the first month back, whatever. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, for me on Twitter, it's at Zachary Am, and uh, I, I like I've said in previous shows, I don't tweet that often uh, unless chaos erupts in the Whitecaps front office. I guess then I tweet a whole lot more. <laughs> So you're going to be on Twitter a lot then in the, the coming weeks, so that's good to know. Well, thanks as always for joining us, Zach. Great to have you back on the show, Steve. Hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. And we will be back with the final part of tonight's show where we've got a couple of our old favourite segments and we travel around the world with Joe Corona. We'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, this is Andy Rose and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Time for Trumpton. Suddenly... Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we went back to 1992, the techno sounds of urban hype, with a song called A Trip to Trumpton. That was also the final song of tonight's Three of a Kind. We had the wooden tops, Well, 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 kicking off part three. Tis Was by Sleaford Mods, kicking off part four. And a trip to Trumpton there by Urban Hype, kicking off this part. The Link. Well, if you got it, well done. If you managed to know what the third song was going to be, even more well done. And please send us your picks for the lottery this week. Last week, we had a Trumpton-related song as the final song of Three of a Kind, but for a different connection. Last week, it was Riots. This week, it's more about Trumpton itself. 
which was a 1970s children's TV programme in the UK, as was Tis Was. The Wooden Tops, who were the band for the first track, was a TV show for children in the UK in the 60s. It also carried on into the 70s. I remember watching it when I was just a little nipper. And it was on something called Watch With Mother, the theme music for which kicked off with a lady saying, Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. So it's pulling it all together for our 400th episode. The link was UK children's TV shows. A very niche link, I know, especially if you're not from the UK. If you got it, well done. If you didn't, don't hate me. We'll be back with another Three of a Kind next week. So Three of a Kind is one of our newer sections on the AFTN Soccer Show. But let's take you back to one of our old mainstays now. In the last part, we talked about MLS close to being back in action, the USL getting close to back into action. We don't know, of course, when the CPL, FC Edmonton, and their head coach Jeff Paulus will be back on the pitch. But what we do know is what is his favourite jam. What's your favourite jam? Traffic jam. What's wrong with raspberry? What's wrong with plum? How's about a blob of elderberry on a scone? What's your favourite jam? You're sitting at home, you decide to have some toast or a crumpet or a muffin or something and you you fancy some jam on it. What's your favourite jam? Orange marmalade. Oh, ah, is that a jam though? (laughs) We had this discussion with Steve in the show, he said marmalade and I'm like, that's not a jam. Oh, that's a good point. You said a jam. Well, I'm going to go with uh, probably, um, uh, I'm going to go with a strawberry jam. And I imagine it was whatever one that had the less sugar in it. I looked at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What's your favourite jam? Jeff Paulus there talking about his favourite jam. Let's get back to the football chat now, and it's time to travel around the world with Joe Corona. Still haven't got a snappy little song intro for for this segment. I can maybe work on that. But more and more leagues are getting back into action. La Liga, Serie A, they're back. Alfonso Davises, Anzacs, Bayern Munich have wrapped up their 88th uh, straight German title, I think it is. It's hard to keep track, they just win so many of them. Oh, it's just 8th, I'm being told. Right, okay. And they were back on the pitch in England as well this week. The Premiership got back into action, the Championship 2, and we had the League 2 playoffs, which was what I enjoyed watching the most. It, It was great as we... Kind of talked about when we were talking about MLS, just to hear the, the players shouting and the management and everything like that. Also my kind of level of football that I really enjoy, so that was good fun. But it does certainly feel that there's a lot of twists and turns along the way before this English season is out. Maybe not, obviously, at the top of the Premiership, with Liverpool just needing one win now to clinch their title. The relegation places certainly look like they might go down to the wire. Promotion from the Championship too. And of course you've got the League 1 and League 2 playoffs to look forward to. But one positive good news story that did come out of England this week that I want to touch about, because we kind of mentioned it on previous shows as well, 
and that was from the National League. League leaders Barrow got the promotion they've been waiting 48 years for, 48 years of heart. It was going to be heartbreaking for them if they were denied getting their place back in the Football League after unceremoniously being voted out of it in 1972. They've gone through money troubles in that time, their supporters have stuck with them and it's just a a great feel-good story really from English football this season. They're going to get promoted, they're going to take their place in League 2 next year. Well done to them, absolutely delighted for them. And if you don't know Barrow's plight in the past and what's happened to them, just Google Barrow FC and check out Wiki and you'll, you'll hear the whole story. In Scotland, oh wow, things are, are still rumbling on there. Hearts and Partick Thistle are taking legal action against the Scottish League, against their relegations. Hearts relegate from the Premier to the Championship. Partick Thistle relegated from the Championship into League One, where East Fife play. Thankfully, Thistle's Dario Zanata used his relegation clause to get out of his contract because he always scores against East Fife, so he won't be a, a guy to kind of plague us next season, or at least not with Partick Thistle, because we still don't know where his future is going to lie. But both teams are taking legal action against the Scottish League. They're looking for between them £10 million in compensation for being relegated. They say it was unfair. Both teams were bottom of their respective leagues. It is, in Partick Thistle's case, justified because they were two points off the team above them and they had a game in hand and that game in hand was from playing a cup game. So very, very harsh on Thistle. They're looking for £2 million. Hearts are looking for eight. Incredible stuff, really. And it's really pissed off the other teams in the the Scottish League who are looking at their articles of association as well to see if they can even expel both teams from the Scottish League altogether. So that's got a lot of way to run. Hearts are saying that they reserve the right to file an injunction to stop the Scottish Premier League getting back into action on August 1st, so we'll see what happens there. The Championship, League 1 and League 2 in Scotland, they won't be getting underway, however, until October. So there's still a lot of time for, for things to get sorted out with that. Obviously, as an East Fife fan, I don't want this all getting £2 million because that's going to help them then get promoted again, making it more difficult for East Fife to get out of the league. League reconstruction, though, in Scotland is completely dead in the water. It was voted down. East Fife were one of the teams to vote against it because if if it had gone ahead, basically they were going to be in a league with nine teams that do not bring many travelling support to them. So they didn't want to do that. So basically they put East Fife first and foremost, which you have to do in this thing. And I know Hearts and Partick are doing that as well. But this seems to be the story that's just going to run and run and run over the summer in Scottish football. But if you're interested in those kind of wranglings, certainly something to keep your eye on. The other thing, of course, to keep your eye on, with a bit of a nod to MLS's Orlando tournament, is now that we've had the first round of matches over in the Premier League and the Championship in England, what's it going to be like for positive tests and and stuff like that? They're not living in a bubble like the MLS players are going to be, so that's going to be an interesting one to to watch for in the week to come. Hopefully there's not going to be a a spike in positive tests, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that is it from our travels around the world with Joe Corona. We've just got one last little bit of this week's show. And for that, 
we're going to bring you the first part of our new episodic drama serial. The last one that we ran seemed to go down pretty well with a lot of folk. I got a few messages from people saying that they really enjoyed it. We'd hoped to do another one sooner than now, but the last couple of episodes have been jam-packed really. So I thought, well, let's just keep it and kick the next one off for the 400th episode. So that is exactly what we're going to do now. So as I said for the MDS chat, sit back, grab another hot beverage of choice, another chocolate digestive, and enjoy this story from the 1958 Roy of the Rovers annual. This is Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. Part 1. Fit only for the rubbish heap. One more pair of boots to come, Ted, said Robbie Rennick, counting the pairs of football boots laid out on the cobbler's bench. Robbie Rennick was just a junior member of the staff of the famous Milton Rangers FC, but Robbie had ambitions. One day, he meant to be a big star, but he knew he had a long way to go yet. For the moment, he had to be content with an occasional game for the third team. Although Robbie was the youngest member of the ground staff, he still felt his share of pride at the fact that Rangers had had their most successful season and had reached the final of the FA Cup at Wembley. It was the first time they had done that in their history. Robbie obviously wasn't going to play in the great match. In fact, he wasn't even going to see it, for he hadn't been lucky enough to get hold of one of the few tickets that had been allocated to the club to share amongst its staff. But he could still get a thrill out of giving a hand to get everything ready for the match. It made him feel great that he'd really had a part to play in this greatest event of the football year. Whose boots are we short of? asked Ted Jones, one of the training staff, who was responsible for seeing that the team's kit was in good order. Robbie checked off the pairs of boots which were turned upside down on the bench to reveal, on each instep, the initials of the owner, picked out in brass brads. Jack Rush! exclaimed Robbie, naming the Rangers' brilliant international centre forward. Gosh! What a tragedy if he turned up at Wembley without his boots. We're relying on him to score the winning goal. Okay, Ted, I'll go get them. Robbie turned to a wall rack where many more boots were hanging and lifted down a fairly new pair stamped J.R. Robbie began to pack the boots carefully in a hamper. As he handled each pair, he reminded himself, with a sense of excitement, that in less than 24 hours, these same boots would be speeding over the famous Wembley turf The eyes of a hundred thousand excited fans would be on them. The television cameras would be flashing their picture onto a million screens around the world. He picked up the pair intended for Jack Rush and smiled to himself as he ran his fingers over the leather. If the hopes of Rangers fans came true, he was holding in his hands the very boots that were going to send the ball crashing into the net past a dismayed goalie to bring the cup home to Milton. Robbie packed the last pair and fastened the hamper down. Good, nodded Ted. Just carry that down to the entrance, and that's our job finished. The rest of it is up to the boys tomorrow. At the entrance to the corridor under the big stand, the assistant trainer was packing the rest of the kit into a van, which would take it to Wembley, ready for the great game. The Rangers stadium was almost strangely quiet and deserted. For months now, as the team fought its way through round and round of the cup, it had been the scene of mounting excitement, of celebrations and triumphs, But now, on the eve of the biggest match of all, the place was hushed and empty. A last lull 
before the scene shifted to its great Wembley climax. Having delivered the hamper and seen it safely aboard the van, Robbie went back to the cobbler's den to see if there was any last clearing up job that needed doing. But Ted Jones had already hung up his white coat, put on his jacket and gone home. Robbie was about to follow him when he spotted something lying in a dark corner on the floor under a low shelf. As he went to pull it out, he saw that it was an old, battered and discarded pair of football boots. They looked quite unfit for further use, and Robbie had decided to toss them in the rubbish bin on his way out. When he casually turned them over and glanced at the initial stamped into the instep, though, he gasped. Gosh! J.R. These old boots belong to Jack Rush, Robbie exclaimed. Wow! I bet they've seen some exciting times and kicked many a match-winning goal for the Rangers. What if Ted Jones would let me keep them as a souvenir? Uh, he's hardly the chap to give me permission. I know! I'll ask Jack Rush himself next week. Robbie put the much-patched boots on a shelf. Then he thought better of it. Somebody else might come along and throw the boots away before Monday morning. No, he couldn't let that happen. So he wrapped the boots in a sheet of brown paper, tucked them under his arm and took them home with him. When he arrived home, he found his elder brother Dick carefully ironing and pressing a uniform. Dick Rennick belonged to the Volunteer First Aid Association in his spare time. Must look my smartest for Wembley, Dick said with a cheery wink. Lucky blighter, Robbie said enviously. I'm on the Rangers staff, yet I've got to watch the game next door on Harry Harper's TV, while you're going to be at Wembley as a first aid man. But I shan't see the match. Don't forget my post is outside the ground, Dick pointed out. But you'll be there in the thick of it all, with the crowds and the excitement. At least you'll get all the cup final atmosphere, Robbie argued. Yes. And when I hear the crowd inside the stadium cheering for a goal, I won't know if we've scored or whether Hardwick have got one against us, Dick reminded his brother. It'll be enough to give me heart failure. I'll be a stretcher case myself before the game's over. He broke off with a grin as he noticed a parcel under Robbie's arm. Hello, what you got there then, he asked. Robbie proudly unwrapped the boots. His brother inspected them with disgust. Phew. What old rubbish. Mum will have something to say if she knows you brought them into the house. You'd better chuck them in the dustbin. But they belong to Jack Rush, cried Robbie indignantly. I brought them home so that they wouldn't get thrown away. I'm going to ask Jack if I can keep them. Oh, you and your Jack Rush, taunted Dick. You think he's the only footballer in Rangers, don't you? Dick had a pretty high opinion of Jack Rush himself, but amused him to pull Robbie's leg. No, I didn't say that. But Jack Rush is the finest centre-forward in the world today, Robbie broke in hotly. He's a first-class sportsman too, not big-headed like some of the others. He talks to me and gives me training tips, just as if I was one of his pals in the first team. Wouldn't surprise me if he gets a hat-trick tomorrow. I certainly wouldn't like to be in Hardwick's goalie shoes at Wembley. All right, keep your wool on, chuckled Dick. I was just pulling your leg. I think a lot of Jack Rush too. Oh well, you better shove those old boots out of sight. Robbie carried the boots up to his room and put them away in a cupboard. The following morning, Dick left the house early to get to Wembley, while Robbie, left at home with nothing to do, roamed the house restlessly. Just before lunchtime, he switched on the radio to listen to a sports programme in which a commentator was going to make a last-minute summing up of the prospects for the cup final. Anything can happen at Wembley, and it's never safe to try and pick the winner. 
Robbie heard the commentator say. But I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I think Hardwick City will beat the Rangers. Rot! Absolute piffle! Robbie snorted at the radio set. Hardwick are the more experienced team, the commentator continued. It must be remembered that they still have eight players of the side that won at Wembley two years ago. But a great deal will depend on the first few minutes, when the teams are trying to get over their Wembley nerves and settle down into the game. That's where Hardwick will have a big advantage. What about Jack Rush? Robbie demanded, shouting at his radio. As if in answer to the question, the commentator went on. For Milton Rangers, much will depend on Jack Rush. He has played on many big occasions, including internationals, and it's not likely to let even a cup final put him out of his stride. If he can get in with one of his famous netbusters early in the game, it may make all the difference to the chances of the Rangers. He will too, Robbie nodded at the set. I was talking to Jack Rush yesterday, the commentator went on. He was one of the most modest of men, and we made no predictions, but when I asked if he hoped to have his shooting boots on, he told me that he has no doubt about his boots, an ancient but much-loved pair that he has worn in every match, big or small, since he first became a professional footballer. Jack laughed when he told me that his pals think he should have thrown the boots away ages ago, but they've proved to be such lucky mascots that he refuses to wear the new pair he was given to break in. So he'll be wearing those old boots to tread the famous Wembley turf, and... Click. Robbie suddenly switched off the radio. His face had gone white. He was thinking of the boots up in his cupboard. Gosh, Ted and I must have made a mistake. We packed an almost new pair. Jack Rush has gone to Wembley without his favourite boots, and I've got them here. What am I going to do? What will Robbie do? Can he get those old boots to Wembley in time for Jack Rush before the cup final starts? How will Jack Rush play without his boots? Is this the end to Milton Rangers' cup final hopes? Find out next time in episode 2 of Wanted for Wembley by Harry Clements. Exciting stuff there. What will happen next? Find out in next week's AFTN Soccer Show. But that is it for this week's episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for supporting us over the last 400 episodes. All the extra podcasts as well. There's going to be one of those coming out to subscribers very soon, so watch your inboxes for that. We've enjoyed doing these shows. We feel we're still going strong, and we've got a lot more in us. Let's see how long it takes us to get to 500. Remember, you can give me a follow on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and check out our YouTube channel at AFTN Canada. If you've any interest in Scottish football or East Fife with me harping on about it over the last few years, or even if you just want another football podcast to listen to, a couple of weeks ago we launched one called Glory Days of Gold. You can find that on Podbean, glorydaysofgold.podbean.com. Also on iTunes and Spotify. We had a week off from that one this week, but we're going to be back next weekend with episode four of that. So, yeah, check that out. We'd really appreciate that. But until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. And mourn the caps. Bye, everyone.
go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Yeah. Mm -hmm.